0: So back in the dark winter of 2008, hard to believe almost 10 years ago now, my partner Kimberly and I were planning our wedding. It was a tough winter, not as awfully inconsistent as this last one, but it was (laughs) difficult for sure. I was living part-time in Stoughton, Wisconsin with Kimberly and spending three to four nights a week in my studio apartment in Chicago, near where I was finishing seminary. We're scrambling uh, scrambling to figure out how to afford a wedding. And again, looking at all those outrageous costs, from seat covers for the reception. Six dollars a piece for the record. <laughs> not worth it to rehearsal dinners, and a wedding dress, and a new tuxedo, and food, and drink, and flowers, and flowers. (laughs) Now despite being held the second week in August when flowers are arguably the most, most plentiful in our hemisphere, the cost of decent flower arrangements for the wedding party and the reception center pieces was astronomical. Thousands upon thousands of dollars for arrangements that neither blocked one's view of the others sitting across the table, nor affronted the senses with tackiness or heavy perfume. As an art teacher, Kimberly had been teaching herself over origami over the last couple years and had learned a couple forms, in addition to the few that I remembered from my own elementary school art program. So we decided we would not buy flowers for the reception, we would make them. A brilliant design by Kimberly combined harvested reed branches, which were fortified with sealant and then dried by hanging from the rafters in her tiny garage beset with origami lilies. We strung wire baskets and the reeds and hung electric votive candles amongst the, uh, the branches and the whole arrangement would be placed in a clear glass vase ballasted with tumbled river rock. And for less than $40 worth of material costs, we produced the equivalent of about $2,500 worth of floral arrangements. But the problem was... It takes a really long time. Dozens of tiny little folds and creases across four planes of the paper and then rolling the edges of each individual flower. At my best, I was able to complete one lily flower in just under 10 minutes. And we made hundreds. We had six shoe boxes filled with just the lilies that would go on the centerpieces, not to count the many more filled with lotus flower origami we would use to mark the place settings. And the lotus flower is my favorite because it's a much faster. <laughs> and we had extra lilies and lotus flowers to decorate the cake. Now I got to the point I could read articles uh, for class in my apartment propped up on my desk while forming these endless creases along a slippery paper without much thought, calloused knuckles and all. But it took many, 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 many hours for what in reality would be a three hour event. Now our friend and minister officiant, Reverend Dr. Michael Tino, who many of you know, and we know as the Carlson family pastor, would comment to us at one point that origami is both a meditation and a prayer, in addition to being a creative act. A meditation and a prayer. Now, Kimberly had always had lilies at her home in Stoughton, Wisconsin. It was her favorite flower. The stargazer lily is her favorite flower. She began planting them when she acquired the tiny corner lot five years before and had a nice mix of the Asiatic stargazer and tiger lilies around the property. You wanna guess what happened the spring and summer following the several hundred origami lily winter? Anyone? You wanna guess what happened to those lilies? They, what? None of them? No, all of them. They blew up. We had twice as many lilies. That summer, as any summer before or since. The lilies came out early, multiplied more plentifully than years before or since, and lasted all season long. In other years where there were splashes of orange flowers dotting in the green expanse of the shady perennial garden, during the spring and summer of 2009, there looked to be fire along the edge of her house. So bright and concentrated was the orange of the blossoms. It was the year of the lily, again calloused folding fingers <laughs> and all. So, now it's almost spring. I don't know it didn't really feel like spring or look like spring. Maybe it does a little more now than it did when I got up this morning, but We knew from the beginning that this was a service of hope rather than triumph. We are often, far too often, separated from the elements as contemporary Americans. Far too often the spiritual significance that our ancestors drew from the natural world is is lost on us. We who have heat and air conditioning even in our cars for the most part. But that's really the beauty of a winter like the one we've just ended. Three months of the inconsistent nature of, well, nature, made sure that we all took notice on what was going on outside. (coughs) Furious snows punctuated with periods of unseasonable warmth and melting slush, only to need the shovel and scraper a few days later. Our members, suffered greatly this winter with falls on the ice, to weather-related illness, to injuries sustained shoveling snow, shouldering the increased economic burden of skyrocketing heating bills, those who struggle with seasonal affective disorder, and sadly, even those who did not live to see this spring. Now Garrison Keillor speaks about the effect of winter on a population relying on his experience living in Minnesota for most of his life, he talks about how after waiting for a late bus in the Twin Cities in January, when it's 20 below, everyone standing at that bus stop with you becomes a dear friend. (laughs) By the time the bus finally arrives, he observes, you would do just about anything for anyone who was there with you, a sort of Minnesotan survivalist universalism that affirms we're all in this together. Now we certainly survived this winter together and are looking forward to the coming spring when we might reconnect with everyone who has seemed so, so isolated during these last several months. And it, it does seem like a cruel trick of nature that we can taste a bit of warmth and then have it taken away amidst random snows and sleet and wind and inconsistency, which is so painful. But this inconsistency is truly our first indication that the weather will eventually break. Eventually. But spring is so much more than just temperature or weather. In fact, I'm pretty confident we can look forward to the much more brutal weather and dismal temps in the next three months. Regardless of what, the, what date the calendar reads. This period in, uh, in Boston, when I was growing up, we called Smarch. <laughs> that awful season of sideways freezing rain. But as we know, the spring equinox is not about weather, per se, though it affects it, to be sure. It's about light. There's two moments a year when the angle of our Earth's rotational axis is perpendicular to the plane of our elliptic path around the sun, which in turn illuminates the two horizontal halves of the globe relatively equally, resulting in a balance of light and dark. Of course, the further one gets from the equator, the further north or south one travels, the more drastic the change of light is between solstices. But regardless of where one finds oneself on the equinox, night and day are in relative balance. This balance of light combined with what seemed like an incredibly early daylight savings time shift this year, has certainly made it look a little more like spring, at least past 5 p.m. <laughs> and During most springs, we respond positively to the added light in our skies and warmth in our soil, but Rarely have we had such a difficult winter to put behind us. But when better than right now, where better than right here, to acknowledge the hardships we've all endured and look forward to the season which will warm both our bones and our brains. This time, like all transitions, is right with religious significance and spiritual metaphor. The potential and promise of warmth returning, of extended light getting longer and longer until that third week in June. The balance in day, of day and night tipping once again towards light. The earth awakening from under a blanket of winter's dreary, snowy sleep. Green shoots spearing out of impossibly cold ground to seek those elusive, life-giving rays of the sun. And even if we feel we fail to feel the change on any particular day, we sense it. We sense it in our hearts and souls. We see it on the faces of strangers. We embrace the warming from within as well as outside ourselves. The equinox, of course, is never a promise of anything. Again, we might have snow again soon, Temperatures below freezing for weeks, and as soon as summer has set and set in does autumn begin to take away our heat and light again? No, if there is any promise given us in this time of celestial balance it is, it is one of hope and potential rather than actualized change. The hope that we will be working in our gardens again. We will be able to take a leisurely stroll down a sidewalk not covered by slabs of broken ice. We will be able to not worry about the freezing pipes or snow blowers or ice dams. And the potential for those gardens to be greener, more lush than ever that those strolls will be filled with the sound of songbirds and the smells of flowers and ripe vegetation, that we will have the time and the opportunity to mend what the winter has wrought, heal what has been broken. As articulated best, perhaps, by contemporary UU minister and religious educator, Reverend Dr. David Bumball, we believe that the universe outside of us and the universe within us is the same universe. We believe the universe outside of us and the universe within us is the same. We have in ourselves this spring. This potential for growing warmth, for blossoming of love, for all And like the natural world which surrounds and permeates us, we must recognize that we too have been cloistered inside for much too long, been standing huddled together yet in isolation at Keeler's proverbial bus stop, waiting for just such a moment to begin opening up again. It is our opportunity to look to the seeds we've been sowing this winter, those flowers we've been folding in preparation for spring, to think about the plans we've made, the hopes we have, the things we wish to see fulfilled this season. To recognize that even though we have been cold, isolated, and at times alone, The potential of spring is calling us to realize those prayers of winter into the actual flowers of spring. So I ask on this equinox, you let the light into your hearts and souls, rest in the confidence of warmth eventually to return, and focus not on the pain or discomfort of the winter's past, but rather on the flowers of our snowing labors yet to come. Happy spring, everybody. May it be so. Blessed be and amen.